And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected of the elders, of the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And as he speak that saying openly, Peter took him, and Peter began to rebuke him. And when he had turned about, that is when Jesus had turned about, he looked on his disciples and he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell. I'm after your hearts, not your heads, is a refrain often heard by college students in Dr. Mitchell's Bible classes. In his own words, his goal was to help you fall in love with the Savior, and his teachings always tended to fill your mind with the Lord Jesus Christ. Through the years, Dr. Mitchell touched a lot of lives as he served as founder and pastor of Central Bible Church in Portland, Oregon, and one of the founders and professors of Multnomah School of the Bible, now Multnomah University. He was also a pioneer radio speaker. In his day, there were no tape recorders, so he and his organist had to be at the station five evenings a week. He was heard live every weekday on radio stations in the Northwest. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that never Our study is in Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 33, and here the Lord Jesus is preparing his disciples for his upcoming suffering, death, and resurrection. Dr. Mitchell gives us an understanding as to the need for Jesus to die for our sin before a holy, righteous God. And in doing so, the Lord Jesus made it possible for this holy, righteous God to love us and to show his mercy, grace, and forgiveness to each one of us. This is now guaranteed to us by God because he raised the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead in the same identical body as was crucified on the cross. And now we read how Satan tempts Peter in his ignorance to try to thwart God's purpose for the Savior, this one who is so close to the Lord. Let's join our teacher, Dr. Mitchell, in Mark chapter 8, verse 31 on the unchanging word, Bible broadcast. Good day, friends. Again, it is our joy and delight to come to you. And you know, it is a real joy for me just to talk to you about the blessed Savior who gave himself for us. I've been reading this gospel through Mark. I'm ever, ever amazed at the Savior we have. And as I was just saying to someone today, I wish God's people would really, really come to know their Savior as he really is. You know, we've, we've, we've covered up the person, the wonderful person of our Savior with all kinds of man-made things. And it's only as you read the Word of God with a heart hunger for him that the Spirit of God reveals to you the beauties and the glories of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I am sure that a great many homes would be changed. If those believers in the home should live a life of precious fellowship with the Savior who understands everything, I'm so glad about that. Now we may again repeat some things. Some of you haven't been listening in. We're in the Gospel through Mark, and we are dealing with our Lord's revelation to his disciples in chapter 8. This runs from verse 27 through to the end of 950, this little brief part we're dealing with, where the Lord begins to deal and teach his disciples. The crowds are left behind. You find, except for two miracles, that's all, after chapter 8, 27. So, the Lord now gives us time to his disciples. He's going to instruct them, teach them, prepare them for what is coming. And for the first time in his ministry, he announces why he came. He must suffer, be killed, and be raised again the third day. First of all, we had the revelation of his person, Thou art the Christ, and as Matthew says, the Son of the living God, John says, the Son of the living God. And then there came the revelation of his program, why he came, the first announcement of his death, one of three announcements. He began to teach his disciples. He must suffer. He must die. He must be raised again from the dead. There's no other way. This is the program the Father had for him. Let me read it again. And he began, verse 31, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected of the elders, of the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. Again I say, here you have the revelation of the necessity of the cross. There can be no throne without the cross, no crown without the cross. If God is going to have a people living eternally with him, then their sin must be put away, righteousness must be provided, eternal life given. To do this, his program, his son must die. Take your place and my place. I know there are those who say, I don't believe in the death of Christ. I don't believe that a person can be saved cleansed from sin by the, by the blood of anyone, even Jesus Christ. When people talk that way, it's because they've never seen the righteous, holy character of God. I come right back to it today. What do you know about the righteous character of God? Today we hear so much about the love of God, the mercy of God, and I'm not opposed to that by any means. But listen, friend, God could never manifest his love and mercy to sinners until his righteous character was vindicated. Man was a sinner. Man was a rebel. Man was lawless. Turned his back on God. You take our present generation. Here we are in America. Our country was based upon those, at least built upon, the foundation of men and women who believed in God that believe in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They came here for a purpose to worship God. 
They knew God personally. And today, the great majority of our people don't know the Savior. In fact, a great many evangelical Christians, though they believe that Christ died for them, never see the import of why he must die. I tell you, friends, sin is a terrible thing in the eyes of a righteous God and a God who is light and a God who is holy. Well, Jesus said, I must suffer. I must suffer. Not because of the enmity of men, not because of the hatred of the leaders. He must die because of you, because of me. There must be the divine satisfaction. What do you mean by that? When Christ died on the cross, he met the righteous demands of a holy God. The very law of God said, the soul that sinneth it shall die. He can't get away from it. Now, I'm not talking so much about physical death. I'm talking about the whole man, spirit, soul, body. As Ephesians 2, 1 says, we were dead in trespasses and sins. And I want to tell you very frankly, if it were not for the death and resurrection of the Savior, there'd be no hope for anybody in the presence of a righteous, holy God. I don't care who you are. If you're not trusting the Savior, you're lost. There's no other way into the presence of God. He must die. He must bear our sin. He must satisfy the righteous character of God. This he did. Now, you may argue with me and say, well, I don't read that. Never mind. This is God's way. God's way is the way of the cross. Do you know more than God? Are you more righteous than God? Are you more loving than God? When Christ died, he not only met the righteous character of God for you and me, he not only put away the sin that was between us, but he made it possible for God to shower his love upon those who would put their trust in him. I tell you, no wonder John could write, Behold, what manner of love, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called, we, you and me, who trust the Savior, that we should be called the children of one who is God. Therefore, therefore, the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. See, friend, oh, that I could make it clear to you. He must suffer because of you, because of me. Thank God when he came, he put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as I said in closing our last lesson, how do we know this is true? How do we know God has accepted this work? How do we know that God's righteous character is satisfied? I know it because God raised him from the dead and exalted him to his own right hand to be a prince and a savior. Wonderful, isn't it? Resurrection. Yes, we have a living Christ. We don't offer people a dead Christ. We offer you a living Christ, one who has put away sin, one who has defeated death in the grave, one who has defeated the powers of hell. And for those who put their trust in him, 
He cleanses them from all sin. He forgives every transgression, makes you the recipient of eternal life, joins you, this to me is an amazing thing, he joins you and me to himself, made one with Saviour, one with him. What a union, what a blessing, what a life. What peace, what joy brings to our hearts. We stand in the presence of God in all the righteousness and all the beauty of the Son of God himself. I'm not making that up. Ephesians 1, 6 says we are accepted in the Beloved. God says that we are made the righteousness of God in him. To him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly who believe. His faith is counted for righteousness. Guaranteed by the resurrection. Let me also say this, and I've said this before, but I don't mind repeating it. I wish people would believe it. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the guarantee of salvation to those who put their trust in him. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the guarantee of judgment to those who reject him. Acts chapter 17 verse 31 says, God has set apart a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. No wonder these disciples were amazed. They couldn't understand it. They talked about themselves. What about this resurrection from the dead? My, it's beyond them, beyond most people. Something to be believed. And when the living God declares what the truth is, it's for you and me to believe. Put our trust in the living God. As Peter says, we trust in the living God. And again, I want to say again, he never, never, never speaks of his death, but he's suffering without resurrection. May I just in passing say this? When you read the book of Acts, you remember the whole book of Acts, the messages that were given by the apostles, whether it be Peter or Stephen or whether it be Paul, the great message of the early church was the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You couldn't fool these men. They saw him. They walked with him. They lived with him. He taught them. They saw him crucified. They met him after resurrection. A real living thing. Forty days he was with them, instructing them in the things of God. Then went back to heaven and left these men down here, filled them with his spirit, with the Holy Spirit, gave them a message of the redemption of a human race. So Peter could say in Acts chapter 2, and all the way through the book of Acts, you have it. What is it? This Jesus, whom you crucified, God raised up, exalted him to be a prince and a savior, exalted him to be Lord and Christ. Now, here's an amazing thing. Look at the next two verses. After the Lord Jesus had taught his disciples this, made this announcement, Verse 32, and as he speak that saying openly, Peter took him and began to rebuke him. I think one of the gospels says he took him to one side and began to rebuke him. Why, Lord, 
can I in now this is not in the text, but I, I can just say what Peter what Peter would do. Why, Lord, I have just declared that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. <laughs> As the Christ of God, you can't die. What do you mean you're going to suffer and die? What are you talking about resurrection? What are you talking about? And Peter began to rebuke him. And when he had turned about, that is when Jesus had turned about, he looked on his disciples and he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. You know, it's an amazing thing, this opposition to the program of God by Satan. You see, Peter presumed to rebuke his master. Here's one of the inner circle. You remember Peter, James, and John in the inner circle. And one of these are being used by Satan to thwart, to hinder the purpose of God. You know, it's an amazing thing. He might use you and me. I mean, Satan, to thwart the purpose in some of his people. And Satan took advantage of Peter's ignorance. Now, listen, Peter's motive was right. Don't misunderstand me. Peter's motive was right. But he made a tremendous stake. And, and, and Satan took Peter in his ignorance, used him to thwart purpose of God. May I tell you very bluntly that whenever you or I begin to declare we're going to walk with God in the purpose of God, to please God, to do what he wants us to do, we're going to have satanic opposition. And sometimes Satan will use ignorant people somebody close to you. I don't mean ignorant in the things of the world, but ignorant of the purpose of God in your life and used to thwart God's purpose in you and in me. Let, let's be wise about this thing. Satan hates the word of God. Satan hates the person of Jesus Christ and he hates the people of God in their testimony. So what do you do? I've had Christians tell me, Mr. Mitchell, I've had more tests and more trials since I dedicated my life to the Lord than I ever had in my unsaved condition. Well, I can understand that. Before you were a Christian, you had no enemies. Now you become a Christian, you have three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And when you begin to, to learn about the Savior and want to walk with Him and the desire of your heart is to please Him, you have tests and trials. Of course you do. You can expect that. We have an adversary. When Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, as a wonderful confession, but when Jesus said, Yes, but I'm going to suffer and die and be raised again from the dead, Peter says, Wait a minute, Lord. You get this idea out of your head. You're the Christ, the Son of God. You can't do a thing like that. And in his ignorance... Satan used him. Listen, friend, I'm not opposed to zeal for the Savior or love for the Savior, but a person can have great love for the Savior and have a zeal for the Savior and be wrong. For example, you take John 13, the Lord took a towel and girded himself. He's going to wash the disciples' feet. And he came to the same fellow, Peter. Now, remember this in the upper room a few hours before the Lord is going to be crucified. When he came to Peter, Peter said, you're not going to wash my feet. You'll never wash my feet. Now he had a zeal for the Savior. He loved the Savior. 
He had walked with the Lord for over three years. Dear Peter, loved the Savior. If anybody loved Jesus, it was Peter. But he was wrong. Zeal and fervor and love for the Savior doesn't prevent you being wrong. Jesus said to Peter, well, Peter, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Then went to, Peter went to the other extreme. Then he said, well, Lord, don't stop with my feet. Do the whole business. Wash my hands and my feet, my head, everything. No, he that is bathed needeth not but save to wash his feet as clean every whit. Ignorance again talking. But fervor, yes. Love for the Savior, yes. And the Lord knew that. The Lord knew that. But here you have where Peter presumed to rebuke the Savior, his master. This was Satan using Peter to thwart the purpose of God. That's why the Lord Jesus rebuked Peter openly. As you have it in verse 33, and he said, Get thee behind me, Satan. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Do you know that God has a purpose in your life, Christian friend? And God has a purpose in my life. The most important thing for you and for me is to have the purpose of God. I've been pressing and uh, pressing down on the fact that Jesus said, I must suffer. Why did he say that? Because he knew the purpose of God for his life. He knew the only way to redeem men and women from sin and from death and from hell was to take their place and die for them and guarantee that work by being raised from the dead. And I repeat it, the moment, the first time that Jesus ever announced his suffering and death, the purpose of God and the program of God for his son, yet satanic opposition. I repeat it, don't be surprised when you and I yield ourselves to the Lord Jesus to give ourselves wholly over to him, or as Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And be not fashioned according to this world, but be transfigured by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Don't be surprised when you come to that place of wanting to give the Lord Jesus first place in your life. Don't be surprised if you have satanic opposition. And the opposition may come from people in your own family or from your own friends or maybe from your own church. Their motive is right. I'm not going to judge their motive. But how do they know the will of God for your life? And so sometimes they're being used to hinder, to thwart the purpose of God in your life. My, what a need there is for us just walk before him in simplicity, in simple trust. If you're in times of tests and trials, afflictions, sorrows, he's right there with you. Oh, he's so compassionate. He's so loving. He can meet your very need. Remember, he loves you. And nothing will come into your life that he doesn't permit for a purpose. But you trust the Savior. You walk with him today. And may the Lord wonderfully, marvelously bless you as you seek to glorify the one who call us out of darkness into his marvelous light.
Again, I say, read the book of Mark and enjoy Christ day by day. And the Lord bless you. Tomorrow he comes for me. He comes, he comes. Tomorrow he comes for me. Bible study today. Write to us with your comments and your prayer requests to The Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon 97338. And so until next time, this is The Unchanging Word radio broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.